And then a little later on, we'll talk about Shameless and what to expect from the season finale, which will air tomorrow at 10 p.m. on Showtime, and talk a little bit about uh, a new movie that's coming out this summer. Uh, the trailer was just released with some familiar faces. Okay. So we want to start out, again, this is our our, our basketball slash sports segment, um, which is loosely based on the blog basketballfeed.blogspot.com. You can find the links to our blogs on our episode description on our website. Um, it, it, it's final four time. We're down to four. And then, you know, this is the end for March Madness. This is the end for this season of college hoops. Um, we've got... We've got four teams left, and I'll uh, throw it out there now, RIP to, to me and Lawrence's Dukies. <laughs> we, got, we got bounced last week by the Louisville Cardinals, um, much, much deservingly uh, to Louisville, who deserves to be there, um, and their opponent, Wichita State, another team that deserves to be there as well, um, the, the Shockers, which is actually their, uh, their team mascot, but uh, they've been the shocker of the tournament, obviously, um, taking down Ohio State last week, um, taking down Pittsburgh in the first round. Um, it, you know, it just you, you, talk, you look at this matchup, and obviously Wichita State being the underdog, the clear underdog here, um, when you look at their body of work, particularly in that Elite, game, elite Eight game against Ohio State, um, you know, this is a team that really embodies the whole notion of a, a complete team effort. Um, you like the fact that they, re, you know, they don't have one guy that you point to and say, you know, they live and die by this guy or this guy makes them go. Um, they they survive really collectively. And what you like is that, you know, I, I like what, what Bruce Pearl said. You know, their coach could go into their locker room after that Ohio State game last week and honestly look at all his guys and say, we couldn't have done it without you, without you, without you. Um, that's really the kind of team effort that we've been seeing from Wichita State, from, you know, Malcolm Armstead, who, who's been leading the way. I mean, he was their high score man in that Elite Eight game with 14 points. Also chipped in seven rebounds, three steals, three assists. Um, you could say that they kind of go as he goes. But, again, you know, the kid Fred Van Vliet, who hit the huge three-pointer for Wichita State with two minutes left, uh, right when Ohio State was starting to make their rally. Um, uh, the Wichita State's highest lead was 20 at the 11-minute mark. And, of course, Ohio State uh, started to make their rally with, with Clayton Ross and, and Deshaun Thomas, um, but it, it just proved to be too much. I thought Ohio State came out a little lackadaisical, not to say they, that they underestimated their opponent, um, which very well could have been the case, but they didn't really come out with that that um, that energy and that focus that you see from teams that um, that are, are trying to get it going from the gate. Uh, you know, Wichita State holds them 22 points in the first half, um, for the entire game, they hold them to um, five for 25 from the three-point land for 20 percent and 31 uh, percent from the field. Uh, Ohio State only made 19 field goals the entire game. Um, so you know, again, you, you like what Wichita State is coming with. Um, also, the kid Tequila Cotton, who is a, you know a, just another vital piece for this team. Um, 
you know, again, it, it speaks to the body of work of their team, the collective effort that they put in. And they've got a handful with, with Louisville tonight, um, which is which will be the first game of the night, uh, I believe, which tips off at about 6.09. Um, the recurring theme, if you've been watching ESPN and kind of keeping up with the analysis for the game, every game that Louisville has played thus far, the theme is handling their pressure. With that, just extremely explosive backcourt they have with Peyton Siva and Russ Smith and just how the, the quickness of, of their team and that, that press they put on. Um, even watching the Duke game last week, I kept saying to someone that um, Duke, Duke had to find ways to score um, and find ways to get stopped. Because if Louisville scores and is able to set up their press, um, they're, they're the most dangerous team in the country by far. Um, looking at the matchup, it, you know, it's hard to, you know, again, it's, a lot of it is about kind of individual matchups and collective matchups. Um, something Jay said last week, which is um, really true and indicative of the teams that you've seen be successful so far in the tournament, and Kenny Smith touched it on it again the other day, is that the teams that come out and are successful and end up winning are usually the teams that dictate the tempo. And the Wichita State-Louisville game, and, and we'll talk about the Syracuse-Michigan matchup also, which I think is the same. It's, it's, it's about which team can dictate the tempo. And obviously for Louisville, they want to make it an up-paced game. They want to get up and down. Wichita State, I'm sure, is more so looking to control tempo. But, again, they're going to have to deal with that pressure at one point or another. So I don't know if they can turn the ball over more than 10 or 11 times and, and have any chance of winning. Um, again, they'll have to handle the pressure. Um, but you like the fact that they're here. You like how they've gotten here. Um, I, I look forward to seeing what kind of effort they put up against the Cardinals tonight. I'm going with Louisville. Um, I, I, it's, it's hard, you know. I think at this point it's, it's just really hard to pick Wichita State. You like that they're here. You like what they've done. But when you look at Louisville's body of work, um, and, and what they're bringing to the table, it, it's hard to pick against them. I think it's a battle. I think um, it doesn't go any higher than the 60s. Um, I think we're looking at a final score maybe even in the high 50s. Uh, it, it's definitely a defensive battle. Wichita State is so quick to the ball. They had a kid with six blocks uh, last week. Uh, their, their rotations are, are sharp and crisp. You can tell by watching them play team defense. I'm so big on, on team defense. And their their team rotations are, are close to flawless. I mean, they 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 almost overhelp at times, um, which, which can be a good thing and a bad thing at times. But it just speaks to the kind of uh, unity they have on the defensive end. So, again, I, I'm going with Cleveland on this one. It's hard to pick against them. I just think between the pressure, I think Malcolm Armstead, had, you know, he's proven to be, other than Aaron Kraft, probably the other best on-ball defender um, in this tournament and in the country. He really bothered the heck out of Aaron Kraft last week, 2-12, um, which was a big part of slowing Ohio State down. And Armstead will have his hands full with Russ Smith, who, you know, we'll talk about Trey Burke in a minute and his deserving uh, winning award. But for me, you know, Russ Smith has – arguably been the best player in this tournament. Um, we talked a little about a little bit about his stats last week that he's been scoring in transition and um, the amount of scoring he's accounting for for his team. Um, just the way he's been able to, to seemingly dominate the game on both ends has been really impressive to me. So Malcolm Armstead has his hands full with that matchup tonight. But again, top to bottom, I'm going, I'm going with Louisville. Um, 
I'll say I'll say 60 to 52. I'm giving Louisville Louisville the eight point advantage here. Um, so I'll kick it to my co-host here. Um, I'll go to Jason first. Uh, get his get his thoughts on the Final Four matchup and and get his pick for the the Louisville uh, Wichita State game. Um, so this this is a, a an intriguing game. I would I would I would argue that the Michigan Syracuse game is a little bit you know more more it, it's the marquee matchup out of the two. Okay, um, I'll tell you guys my pick right away. I'm going with Louisville, and I just think that they have they have so much momentum going for them right now. You know they beat a they beat a decent Duke team last week. Um, and and pretty convincingly, and you know with the whole Kevin Ware situation last week, you know they're 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 riding that um that 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 emotion from last week and everything that's happened over the past week. And and I'm I'm looking at the coaching matchups, and Wichita State's coach I think is he somebody's going to pull him out of Wichita State pretty soon. He's going to be at a, a, a in a high major conference. You know whether it's Big Ten, Big Twelve, Big East. You know he's gonna. There's somebody's gonna try to give him enough money to pull him out of Wichita State, and and he's very good. But I'm going with the guy that's been here before with Patino. Um, he he knows how to win these games, and Russ Smith has been the best player in the tournament. You know I know Trey Burke just won the Wooden Award, and and that was well deserved, and he's been tremendous. But if you look at consistency, you know, throughout the tournament, Russ Smith has been the best player in the tournament. And and, and I don't think I don't really think you can you can you can name a couple people that are that you can put in the conversation, but I think he's been the guy. And and I don't think he's going to disappear tonight against Wichita State. Um I won't be surprised if Wichita State wins because they're a very, very good team. Like, you know, like Martin alluded to, defensively they're terrific. They 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 get contributions on the offensive end from multiple people. And they the road to get here arguably might be the toughest road out of out of any team that's gotten here. That that are that's in the final four right now. So, you know, they're ready. They deserve to be here. Um I, I I'm just going with Louisville off of Patino and his experience in these games, and Russ Smith being the the ultimate difference between the two teams, um, you you can't you can't overlook the fact that that this kid controls the game on both sides along with Peyton Siva, and nobody can guard him in college. Like nobody nobody has been able to to guard him. It, it, it hasn't been Kimball Walker like. In the in in the dominant area, but he's almost like the Kimball Walker of college basketball this year. You know, he's he's small, he's extremely fast, he has obviously great ball handling skills. He can shoot it with enough consistency to keep you honest, and he gets to the front of the rim and finishes no matter who's there. So so this guy, and in transition, he's an absolute nightmare. So Louisville creates the tempo that they that they usually do. Get this game going up and down with that pressure defense, I think they have just a little bit too much for Wichita State. But but I'm 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 gonna say this again, I will not be surprised if Wichita State wins. I I, I think they do have a have a good chance of pulling this out. So it'll be it'll be a very, very interesting game. Um 
and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, what, uh, what's your pick for the Louisville game? <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to surprise anyone with this pick. I'm, uh, I'm going to go with Louisville. Uh, I mean, they're one of the hottest teams in basketball right now. They kind of came off of a great run in the Big East tournament, took the Big East tournament championship. Um, they played some pretty tough teams on their way to the Final Four, I mean, including my duties last week and, and made them look like a high school basketball team realistically. Like, they're they're playing better than anybody else in the country right now. And, uh, I mean, like what Jay said about Russ Smith, I mean, he he has been he has been the MOP of the tournament to me so far. I mean, if, if Louisville goes ahead and wins it all, he's, he's going to get that award, and he deserves it. I mean, he's... He's done everything. He's remained consistent. He, he. I mean, he scores in bunches. He, he does everything that you need from a guard. And and Louisville's defensive presence. I think that I think that of the four left, the only team that has as much of a defensive presence or close to as much of a defensive presence as Louisville is Wichita State. I mean, they're a team that that is known to grind out games, and and they're not like. High scores. I feel like their leading score on the year averaged about 13 points a game or something like that. So they're not going. They're not. The plan isn't to come in and just try to score more points than the other team. They're going to get stopped. So, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. I, I do feel like Peyton Siva's big in this game. Peyton Siva has to be able to score the ball some. He and he has to. He has to limit his turnovers as much as possible, and he has to be able to give Russ some help, especially with with them missing Kevin Ware. That, that Kevin Ware was a perimeter scoring option, and, and he was a present. So, with Kevin Ware out the entire game, I think that Russ, uh, that Peyton Seed is going to have to do a lot more. But I think Louisville wins this game. I'm going to say, say about. I, I like Martin's pick. I think Louisville scores a bit more than 62. I would, I would say maybe about 60 to 70. Louisville. Um, yeah, back to the, you know with the Kevin Ware point, um, you guys both both brought it up. It was obviously a horrendous uh, sight. I was watching the game live, and it, it I mean it, it shook anybody who was there and who was watching. Um, but you know, again, I think that's a strong point with Peyton Siva because I believe it was the Oregon game in the Sweet 16. Uh, for most of the second half, Peyton Siva was on the bench, and Kevin Ware was in there um, playing the. Uh, sidekick playmaker to Russ Smith um, as opposed to Peyton Siva. And it was really, really in the tournament where had been playing well, but that game I really saw him kind of come into his own. And, um, but, you know, for that reason, uh, even watching the Duke game, I, I thought, I, and I said it to uh, uh, Shaw, who I was watching the game with, at that point when Ware went down, initially it looked like it, it had a negative reaction on Louisville. I said, you know, it looked like they were kind of a little bit still shook up after the, after it happened. Um, and I, you know, I hated to say it as a Duke fan, but it, but you know, with Ware going down, it, it it kind of gave us a little advantage there. I thought it was something we could capitalize on. Obviously, we weren't able to, but um, I think that's a strong point. Steve is going to have to play a significant role um, for them uh, tonight, you know, to get to get that guard play, get that get that playmaking going for them. Um, so going on the other other side of the spectrum, um, Syracuse, Michigan, which as Jay said. Um, very truthfully, is the marquee matchup for tonight. Um, we just talked about it, Trey Burke, the Wooden, Wooden Award winner. Um, I tweeted it from our Twitter account um, that Trey Burke won player of the year in the second half of that Kansas game in the Elite Eight. Um, 
I said it on here uh, last week, the week before. Uh, he's, he's the best creator in college basketball. We all unanimous, unanimously decided last week that after that Kansas game, he should, hands down, there was there was none of the finalists compared to Trey Burke and what he was doing for his team um, at that point. In fact, I think all the other finalists had been eliminated by that time. Um, so with Syracuse and Michigan, obviously Syracuse coming off the game against Marquette, which was which was Big East personified. I mean, the final score was 55 to 39. Uh, Marquette's lowest scoring scoring total of the season. Uh, they turned the ball over 13 times, shot 22% from the field, and just got completely consumed by that Syracuse zone, um, which they played so well and so consistently throughout the tournament. Um, and again, the the theme with this game is obviously about the zone and how Michigan can can deal with it. But again, it also goes back to the tempo and what what kind of game this is going to be uh, for Syracuse. You know, Brandon Trich said it after the after the Marquette game that they showed that defense wins games, and that's you know that's kind of the the uh, the, the silhouette of the Big East is that you know it, it's gritty, it's it's low scoring, and you grind it out. And Syracuse is embodying that uh, maybe best. They're not they're not so much of an of a potent offensive team. I mean, they have guys that can score. Obviously, Michael Carter Williams is elite. Um, you know, I, to me, CJ Fair might be the most important player on that team. With with Brandon Trich, uh, we talked about a little bit last week with him kind of falling between the crosshairs with the, the rising of Michael Carter Williams. CJ Fair, I, I feel, has become kind of their really their second best player for me. Um, in terms of what he does on both ends. And James Sutherland, obviously, is, you know, he's an outside threat. He's a guy that can score as well. But they win with their defense, um, and they win with that zone. Um, and the theme, how how Michigan is going to deal with the zone, um, for me, I, I think, uh, I mean, you're looking at two opposite teams. I think Michigan is going gonna, is gonna to want this to be kind of more of a high-scoring game, more of an up-and-down affair. I think that gives them the best chance. I think um, if they get stops early and are able to get out in transition and maybe catch a few open threes in the, in the holes in that zone, I think that's their best chance of, of, of really getting getting some points on the board. I think if, if Syracuse can score early and establish themselves and get themselves set into that zone and kind of make it more of a half-court game, I think, I think Michigan struggles with their length. Um, I'm looking at Tim Hardaway, Jr., and I, I think he's really the one that needs to emerge in this game for Michigan to take it, um, for them to do well. Uh, I think I think Trey Burke is going to be Trey Burke um, again. He's the best creator in college basketball. He's he's got the best zone in college basketball to create against tonight. I look forward to seeing you know how he deals with it. Um, he's he's number one in turnover ratio in the country. We look to see if he can keep that up tonight against the length of that zone. Um, so many factors going into this game. Um, Three-point shooting for Michigan is going to be a factor if they can get it going early. Um, uh, I forget the kid's last – I can't remember how to pronounce the kid's last name. Stalkis, Nick Stalkis, something like that. Stalkis, yeah. He, I mean, if he can really shoot, what he went six for six in that uh, from three in their game last week. Um, so uh, a lot of things going to it. I, I'm going with Syracuse. Um, I think – I think they do a, a good enough job of making this a low-scoring affair. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go 65-60 Syracuse. I think they're going to have to score a little bit more than they're used to with the with the with the offensive ability of Michigan. Um, I, I think I think they pull it out though. I think they bother them enough with that zone. I think they turn them over 
maybe maybe close around ten times, and Michigan takes care of the ball so well. I think that's that's definitely a huge theme. Um, but I, I'm going with Syracuse, and uh, and then uh, again, it's almost like kind of the perfect ending for the Big East, um, a Louisville and Syracuse final. That would be if both teams pull it out tonight. I'm um, a rematch of the Big East championship. Um, in which case, um, obviously, we won't have a chance to break that down. The championship game will be on Monday night. Um, we won't be on air again until next Saturday. But I, I think I think Louisville is the team right now. I, I think I think they're gonna. I, I think they're primed to to really take this. I, I think a, a rematch would be good for Syracuse because I think they've become a better team and uh, almost uh, well, just a better team since that Big East final. They've got a chip on their shoulder. Um, we see. I think we see another Big East battle in the final, but I, I'm going with, with Louisville. Um, I'm riding out with Louisville to take it all. Uh, Al, why don't you give us uh, your take for the Michigan-Syracuse matchup tonight? All right, well, like you guys said, this is the matchup to see today. I mean, this is this is the one that really, really can can go either way. I mean, I guess at this point either can, but this is the most evenly matched-up when you look at schedule, you look at the actual personnel. I mean, these both of these teams have pros. I mean, with that being said, though, I'm going to go ahead and take Michigan. The reason I'm going to take Michigan is because I think that I think that Jay said that before he felt like Wichita State may have had the hardest road to the Final Four, but I'm going to argue that Michigan did. They had to beat they had VCU in the third round, then Kansas, then Florida, and I mean that Kansas game. We we watched the Kansas game. We talked about it last week. That there was absolutely no reason they should have won that game, and they pulled it out. And in riding off of something like that, I mean, I think I think you can take that momentum with you to a, a national championship and win it all. Realistically, I think that Michigan has the best player left in the entire tournament in Trey Burke. I mean, he is. He's a bona fide pro. He he like Martin said, he's he's the best playmaker in college basketball. And then he's a guy that's really going to get it done. I mean, I I've watched we talked about it again, but I, I watched the entire Kansas game and he had a terrible first half, didn't score didn't score a point at all in the first half, and then in the second half, between the second half and overtime he has twenty five points. I mean that that's what you need out of your go to guy. You need someone who's gonna step up down the stretch and really like take control of the game. And that's what Trey Burke did. That's what he does. I think one of the unsung heroes for Michigan is, is Mitch McGarry, man. He's uh, this is a guy that averaged I, I looked it up, I feel like he averaged like nine and six throughout the season. And against V C U he had twenty one and fourteen. Against Kansas he had twenty five and fourteen. I mean he had eleven and nine against Florida and I, I only caught the first half of that game, but he had eleven and nine against Florida and he had like ten and eight with like five minutes to go in the first half. So he sat most of the second half because they were I mean they were just taking care of business. But but I mean if Mitch McGarry continues to play the way he has, I mean he's he's been one of the best big men I've seen throughout this entire tournament. He's a freshman. He's, he's very good around the basket. Has great touch. I mean, he he's a, he's a banger. He's gonna crash and he, he's gonna get all of the garbage points, all of the putbacks, all of the offensive rebounds. He puts himself in good positions to score, and Trey Burke finds him. So I, I mean, with that, Tim Hardaway has to show up. Obviously, I mean, he he's as important as anybody else. So does Glenn Robinson. Glenn Robinson had a lot better of a game against Florida than he did against Kansas. 
But, I mean, if, if as a cohesive unit, especially with Falcon shooting the ball the way he did last week, I don't think anybody's going to beat Michigan. So I'm going to say Michigan's going to go ahead and beat Syracuse and then beat Louisville in the final. Um, I, I can't, I can't knock your pick because, um, and I think, I think Jay can attest to this also. It, momentum is huge. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's usually the best picks are the ones that um, go to the team with the most momentum. And Syracuse is kind of riding a defensive momentum right now, but Michigan kind of has that that aura about them. Like you said, you know, with Mitch McGarry playing so well, you know, last week they started the game out fourteen nothing. I mean, that game was over against Florida in the first three minutes, literally. Um, so I definitely can't knock that. Uh, Jay, what's your pick for the Michigan-Syracuse matchup? This is this is this is a hard one to to decide on because there's there's so much going into this game. All right, so this is these, these are a couple stats that I that I think are are critical to to even not even critical, but just things that you have to think about before making a pick with this game. Syracuse. Is they're holding teams to 29% from the field in the turn. 29%. That these are these are some of the best teams. These are supposed to be the best 64 teams in the country, and they play four games, and no one has been able to shoot over 30% against this team. This zone against teams that haven't seen it all year long. Is just absolutely it, – it's shutting everything down, okay? So we have – what we have tonight with this game, we have a superior defensive team against a very, very good offensive team. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a supporter of the good offense beats good defense. I, I support that. In this – in this case, it's hard to support that when the defense has been this suffocating. Okay, now I think Michigan has the tools to break this zone down. They have a point guard who will consistently get a, he will consistently get by Trich and, Mark, and Michael Carter Williams at the top of that zone. Okay, will he be able to score after he gets into the paint like he like he does a lot of times? I don't think so because of Syracuse's length. But he, they have someone that will consistently get into the heart of that zone. And once you get into the heart of a zone, you can make any type of thing happen that you want to. And this guy is the curse Paul of college basketball. And, and you don't have to be you don't have to be a terrific scorer or a great player, and he'll find you and basically spoon feed you a, a bucket. So Stauskas, Glenn Robinson the third, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jaquin McGarry. All of these guys have to be able to make plays. And I, I, I don't trust that they'll make enough plays against Syracuse. And, and I don't think they'll hit enough shots against Syracuse. And I could be completely wrong, and if I am, I'll, I'm, I'm fine with that because I, I actually want to see a Michigan-Louisville final more than I want to see a Louisville-Syracuse final because I don't want to see a Big East game for the final. I don't want to see a 40-45 to 45 championship game. I want to see actual good, like like high scoring game. So, my pick, my pick is Syracuse. Okay, I'm going with the team. I'm going with the defensive team right now. <laughs> I know I probably can't do this, but but I want to see Michigan win because I want to see a Michigan Louisville final. So, Syracuse, 
Syracuse is zone, slows Michigan down. The game's in the 60s. Syracuse wins the game in the 60s. If it's anywhere, if it's over, if it's over 60, then Michigan wins. But Syracuse's zone, CJ Fair, and and Michael Carter Williams and Trish and Sutherland, they make enough plays and score enough points to get Syracuse to a national championship game. Bayhan is is has been dominating uh, John Bevon from from Michigan. The Michigan coach is 0 and 9 against Jim Bayhan. And he's had better shooting teams than he had in this Michigan team going against Jim Beheim's zone from his West Virginia days when he was in the Big East. And he 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 might have a complex, like he might have a problem beating Beheim, and 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 he can't figure out how to figure out this zone. And I think Louisville's the only team in the tournament that actually knows how to figure out that zone. So um, I'm going with Syracuse. I don't want to, but I'm going with Syracuse. Um, I think it's fair, though. I, I, I could say I would rather I would like to see a Michigan-Louisville final as well. I think that would be pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, Jay, real quick, give us your, uh, your national champion also. Louisville. The Cardinals. <laughs> Patino. I have them, I have them, I have them I have in my, my, my – I made three brackets. My third one, who I, who I can't get any money from, um, is is doing the best. My second bracket, I'm gonna tell y'all about it. My second bracket, which I could possibly give myself a decent finish. I'm still not gonna make no money, but I'm gonna make. I'm gonna have a decent finish. I have Louisville winning in that bracket, so I want Louisville to win because of my bracket and because of Patino and because of Kevin Ware, because I want this kid to 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 get something after what he just went through. So um, I think Louisville will ride that emotional high all the way through and win it and, and, and cut down the net in Atlanta on Monday. Um, well said, definitely well said. Um, we got we got two Louisville and and Lawrence is riding out Michigan all the way to the final. It looks like. Um, so again, those games will air tonight. First one a little after six and. The Michigan-Syracuse game will air after the Louisville game, um, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, now on to our, our, our next topic for this segment, um, and the, the bigger sports topic from this week. If you've been watching ESPN, you have seen the, the growing debacle at Rutgers University regarding head coach Mike Rice. Um, there was footage leaked of him uh, verbally and physically uh, abusing his players during practice sessions. Um he has since been fired um, by the university. Uh, the athletic director um, has since resigned um, following following the situation. Um, uh, it's uh, Tim Pernetti, the athletic director from Rutgers, uh, has, has since resigned. Um, it's really become kind of this growing uh, situation, this growing borderline scandal, I guess you could call it. Um, obviously unfortunate for the university, um, for the players themselves, uh, for, you know, pretty much for everyone involved. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, we, we get to talk about this because realistically everyone here has some kind of stake in the situation or at least as close to the situation in one form or another. Um, uh, as we know, I, I grew up, um, I, I kind of grew up at Rutgers. Um, I have, I have two, sisters, uh, who are not my blood sisters, but two uh, females that I consider my sisters who both played 
uh, basketball at Rutgers for for Coach Vivian Stringer, who's the Hall of who's a member of the Hall of Fame. Uh, when we talked about Michael Jordan in one of our first uh, shows here on the Collective, uh, I was talking about how I was at the Hall of Fame uh, during Michael Jordan's speech, and uh, Coach Stringer was inducted on that same night as Michael Jordan. So that. That was the reason why I was even there in the first place. Uh, Coach Stringer has been a dear friend. She goes to my father's church, as do many of her players. Um, one of my sisters is, is the assistant for, with Coach Stringer for the women's basketball team right now. Um, we, uh, my father is kind of close to the situation. Like I said, their coaches and players go to our church. Um, uh, 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 Tommy actually went to Robert Morris when Mike Rice was at Robert Morris. Uh, that's where he was at before Rutgers. Um, and Lawrence and Jason, I know you guys know uh, Miles, Miles Beattie, that's his last name, right? Um, Mac, Miles Mac. Um, I don't know, uh, Miles Beattie is someone completely different. Um, Miles, yeah, Miles Mack, um, who is who is from. Uh, I know you guys like grew up with him. Um, he he's attending Rutgers right now. Um, I was laughing. I remember watching some of the footage of Mike Rice with Jay, and Jay pointed out that uh, Miles was not one of the victims of physical abuse. Uh, but um, again, it's it's an unfortunate thing. I will say this uh, before I get you guys' reactions. Um, and I told my mom this the other day. You know it. it this kind of stuff, and I'm sure all of us could attest to this at one point, this kind of stuff happens all the time. And it's, you know, you, you, you hate to say it and you hate to, you know, you hate to acknowledge it, but, you know, this situation is not uncommon. If you were to get footage of practice sessions over at the University of Kentucky with John Calipari, you would hear some of the most explicit stuff you've ever heard. I mean, uh, obviously Mike Rice, you know, highly extreme with his with his strategies, you know, uh, with the gay slurs and the, you know, stuff like that. But, I mean, throwing uh, – he was a little excessive, obviously, throwing the balls at guys and stuff. But, again, and maybe not as extreme. I'm sure stuff just as extreme happens somewhere in the country. I, I can almost guarantee it. But even if it's not as extreme, this kind of stuff happens all the time. And I can say personally, I played for a guy in high school – who everyone on our team was scared of, literally scared of. And and it it wasn't, I mean, he wasn't physically abusing us. It was plenty of verbal abuse. But it, at the end of the day, it came down to our success and our our commitment to to ourselves, to, to hard work, and to our team. Um, I used to hate playing defense. I mean, I didn't even believe in defense. And this guy kind of reshaped my whole philosophy on, on defense, on basketball, and kind of taught me really the, the work ethic that comes with playing good defense. And, and as a result, I became a better player. Um, I, it's also worth noting, you know, since the firing of Mike Rice, two players from Rutgers have openly come out and, and defended him. Um, Wally Judge, who was a transfer, um, uh, uh, talked to the press and, uh, and said that those individual moments didn't define who Rice was um, as a coach uh, fully. Um, uh, there was a, there was someone else who I'm not I'm not getting for um, Austin Johnson, um, who kind of just echoed um, his teammates' sentiments. Um, he said that uh, Rice did a lot for the players off the court, academically and socially. Um, he said that he's enjoyed his time and uh, he called it an emotional roller coaster. So, 
I think I think the big thing here is that obviously some people got it worse than others. Um, I I think I I also think kind of like finalizing my 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 point. Um, it, it's gonna I think it's gonna put a lot of coaches and players on notice. I think the coaches that that tend to use a little bit more of um, I guess you could call it excessive force with their coaching philosophies and um, that are a little more intense. I, I think. Not to say that they might, you know, turn completely switch their philosophy, but you know, you never know. Almost every practice session, specifically at the Division One level, is is video recorded for some reason or another. Um, and I, I think those coaches will kind of take the situation into notice and be probably a little more careful because now, you know, if something like this were to happen again you know, it's, it's, it's spread like wildfire, and, and it speaks to the power of social media because once this footage was released, uh, Mike Rice was fired. Did it? Well, actually, it's obviously it's a growing part of the situation, but when the president finally saw the footage for himself, that's when the coach was fired. Apparently, the athletic director, Tim Pernetti, show, uh, mentioned the video to him and saw the video himself months ago and as a result decided to fine the coach about $50,000, I think, and it was a three-game suspension. It wasn't until the president saw the video with his own eyes that he decided to fire Mike Wright, which caused the athletic director to resign um, because, obviously, it, it didn't make him look too great. So, um, again, an unfortunate situation um, for, for all reasons considered. Uh, Jay, I want to go to you and get your thoughts on the on the whole Rutgers situation. Um. It's it's sad for college basketball. It's obviously very very unfortunate for Rutgers University, um, but it's it's not for me playing college basketball for four years and and having a circle of friends that have played college basketball. It's not surprising, you know. My my college coach was not Mike Rice. <laughs> he was he wasn't he wasn't throwing. He wasn't throwing basketballs at people. He wasn't physically, you know, you know, touching anyone um, at all for for any reason. Um, verbally, I wouldn't say he was abusive, but he got after you, you know. And, and this is, and, and and I'm not defending Mike Rice at all because he he's an he's an idiot for for the way he went about, you know displaying or trying to discipline his players. He's a, he's a complete idiot for that. Um, but, you know, it, you got to look at both sides. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of play devil's advocate for one second. College basketball coaches, this is their job. This, this is their, their family's well-being. This is their well-being. It's a high, it, it's a, it's a high-pressure job. Especially at that at, at the Big East level, at the major, there, there's a lot of money involved for the institution and 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 for the coaches, and, and it's 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 and you don't have much time to get things right before you before you get the boot. So this guy was obviously under a lot of pressure, and it consequently made him act possibly out of character. Maybe this is him. Maybe it isn't. But it, it made him act. I would. I'm going to argue out of character. And he was wrong. And he deserved to lose his job. And and it's a it's an issue now that everyone's seen it. But this stuff goes on in college sports all the time. 
more so than the NBA because these are professionals. The NBA, there's these kids, these people are getting paid to do what they do. College, college kids are not getting paid realistically to do what they do. And, and these coaches take advantage of that and say whatever they want to say to people. And, and it's, in some ways, it's a character builder, you know, but I think there's a difference between constructive criticism and, and being flat-out disrespectful and, and embarrassing and, and talking down to your players. And Mike Wright should have gotten fired. Rutgers didn't handle it well. That's their fault, and that's why they're getting the backlash from everything. Once, once, the, once the AD saw that video, you know, I think he took – he tried to do things the politically correct way, you know, just find him and not just fire him and, and, and all that stuff. Um, but there was obviously a problem in the administration where so the president of wasn't aware of it, or, or so he claimed. And, and Rutgers, are, they're now paying for, for the mistakes that they made of going down the line, much like Penn State paid for the mistakes that they made going down the line. So, you know, it's gonna it, it's bad for Rutgers. Um it's terrible for college basketball. Um it's it, it's terrible for Rutgers basketball obviously they're moving into the Big Ten next year, which is not going to be fun for them in the state that they're at with no coach. I feel terrible for the players who are the real victims in all of this. And, you know, it it, 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 it it's happened like this in college sports all the time. Somebody there's a there's a there's a conflict between either a coach and a player um, or a coach and another coach like it is in this instance with Eric Murdoch, the assistant coach from Rutgers who, who spilled the beans, and, and, and there's a rift somewhere, and someone comes out and says, yo, look, this is what's going on. But Eric Murdoch wouldn't have done that if something didn't happen between he and Mike Wright. So this is a problem that will never get fixed unless, unless people keep, you know, something happening between a coach and a player that's that's terrible and the player decides to say something. And and it was interesting last week I'm on Facebook and, and like I said, I, I have a I have a bunch of friends that that play high division one basketball. And I won't say any names or I won't say where this kid goes to school but he but he plays on a big East team. So he plays high division one basketball and he put up a Facebook status and he said stuff like this happens all the time. This is normal basically, and it's about time that players start speaking up. But the problem with the NCAA is that these kids who are kids at this point in their lives, they don't have a voice. There's no union. There's no. There's nobody that speaks out for the players. So nobody will ever know about this unless a, a coach or someone else brings it up. So, like, it's just, it's just bad for the NCAA because it just shows how inadequate they are in handling this 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 high power business that they have, and and for Rutgers, like I said, for the players, it's it's a terrible situation for college basketball, and but it was not surprising for me, and and it's it, and it goes on every on every major high high major college basketball team campus. It hap- it happens all the time, and it's very unfortunate. Uh, well said. Um, Lawrence, what are your thoughts on Mike Rex? I mean, Jay just hit the nail on the head, really. It, I mean, it's it's sad it's for the players and, and 
to see them have to suffer. I mean, I, I feel like we'll probably be seeing some NCAA sanctions coming for the program. I mean, possibly. I, it was the same situation with Sandusky where it was like it, it wasn't anything that the players were doing wrong, but they but the program has to pay for allowing something like that to go on and not and not handling it properly. So it, it is really sad. I mean, it is. It is something that is a a reality. I mean, it, it's something that happens on a lot of different levels of basketball, or a lot of different levels of any sport, where coaches coaches sometimes get a little overzealous and, and get a little bit too into it, to where they're they're berating players, or I mean, in Mike Rice's case, actually like attempting to call harm to players. I mean, is it? There's another thing you have to think about. I mean, these guys that he's, like, beating up in or, or, or pushing around on these videotapes, I mean, these aren't little guys. It's not like he's beating up little kids. Like, they, they are they are very young still, and, the, and they are technically still kids. But, I mean, these guys are, like, six feet. They're all bigger than he is. So, realistically, I mean, if if, if it came down to it, <laughs> if it came down to it, if the players were, like really wanted to do something, they would be able to. It's not like these are these are people that can't defend themselves. They they can defend themselves. I mean, they can't because it is their coach. But it, I don't want to make it seem like Mike Rice was just beating up on people that like were just defenseless. You know, I, I mean, I mean, people get really into really into the game, and, and and that's the thing that's great about the game is that people are really into it. And, like Jay said, I mean, these coaches end up having a lot invested in it because there is their livelihoods where they're willing to, you know, try to find any means possible to to rev up their players and 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 get them to actually listen or to drive a point home. So I mean, it it is normal to an extent. I mean. You're going to find that a lot of coaches. I mean, there's guys like Frank Martin. Where I don't want to know what a Frank Martin practice looks like at all, at all. I mean, I feel like every single time someone turns over the ball for any of Frank Martin teams, whether it was K State or even him at South Carolina, now it's just like I feel like they they are literally scared for their lives, and they should be because some of these dudes are scary. I mean, Martin talked about Calipari. I'm sure Calipari has words for all of his players that that shouldn't be put on television. Probably the same way with Rick Pitino. I mean, uh, it's it's kind of the way things go. These players, these guys are older, so, you know, it's not like they're, like, yelling and cursing at kids. They're they're a bit older, so, I mean, it's not like it's, it's not like these kids don't, don't curse themselves or anything like that, but it's unfortunate like I said, for the players, and it's just it's it's a situation that that sucks to have to happen. And Rutgers definitely should have dealt with it better, and they didn't. And and that's where realistically the problem lies. Um, yeah, well said again. Um, I it, I definitely like um, you know, Jade made a really good point about the fact that the players don't have a voice. There's no players' association. Um, uh, the Eric Murdoch, who he mentioned, is another connection that we have. He's a member of our church. Uh, shout out First Baptist Somerset, New Jersey. Um, uh, Eric Murdoch, uh, obviously, he was he's suing Rutgers right now for wrongful termination. He was let go uh, sometime last year by Mike Rice, 
Um, and of course, he's he's kind of part of the the, the growing scandal and the and the leaked footage. Um, but there was this strong point by Jay about the players not having a voice. You know, one of the pieces of the footage, the, the, one of the assistants who has since uh, resigned as well, um, he was guilty of kind of picking up, piggybacking off of Mike Rice's uh, tactics. There's footage of the, this assistant who is a little more hands, hands-on with the players doing drills with them, and he's kind of getting in guys, and you can see him, you know, pushing guys and trying to get guys going. And there was one player stepped up in a defensive drill who was about 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and was guarding the assistant and was really, you know, uh, really rattled him. The assistant ended up turning the ball over in the drill or something like that. And the assistant really got up in his face as if to say, you know, if you think you're tough, fight me. I mean, it's obvious, there was no audio in the footage, but just from watching it, that was that was the impression you got. Like it was someone really trying to fight the other person. And it speaks to Jay's point. There's there's no there's no there's no one that that kid could could call or go to. I mean, maybe the press in general, but in terms of having a voice for the players for stuff like this, uh, obviously the player can't hit his coach because a he'll be arrested, B, his career is over, and, and you know, and, and the list goes on. So it's, the players are put in, in a defenseless position almost, but like Lawrence and Jason both alluded to, um, this is not something that does not go on. This is something we have all seen and are familiar with, and as, as Jay pointed to, uh, his friend at, at a biggie school um, and the Facebook status, um, it's just another example of, you know, someone who's playing at that level who also acknowledges the fact that these kinds of things happen, uh, whether whether they are acknowledged by by the public or the press or, or not. So, um, obviously, the, the situation will be covered further by ESPN. I'm sure for the probably for the next week or so. Um, I'm sure developments will will start to unravel. I've just read this morning that Ben Hallen has been uh, considered as a possible candidate to replace Mike Rice. Um, obviously, Ben Hallen was the UCLA coach and, and has since been fired um, after losing to Minnesota this year in the NCAA tournament. Um, we're going to wrap up uh, this segment of our show, go to our first commercial break for uh, for a couple minutes, and we'll come back and start our music segment. Um, so this is The Collective. You know what it is. We'll be right back. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Boom 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit. 
everybody we're back from our first commercial break <clears throat> we just wrapped up our first segment uh made our final four predictions and talked about the mike rice and ruckers uh debacle uh we're going into our our music segment now which is loosely based on the blog what we hear um where you can find some of the latest reviews and feature stories uh latest reviews of justin timberlake's 2020 experience um, and reviews will be coming this week um, of Tyler, the creator, uh, his new Wolf album, and uh, Little Wayne's I Am Not a Human Being, too. Uh, to kick off our segment, we're going to talk about uh, our good friend Kid Cuddy. Uh, Cuddy did an interview this week with uh, Power 106 on Monday um, and made a somewhat of an alarming announcement that he will no longer be a member of the Good Music label. Um, Good music, obviously, headed by Mr. Kanye West. Um, Cuddy has been with the label since 2004. Um, 
it was it was kind of speculated after there were no features on his upcoming album, um, Indicud. Uh, the tracklist has been released, which will come out on April 23rd. There were no good music features um, on the album. There's been speculation about, you know, maybe why it's happening. People have said maybe because of his minimal involvement with Cruel Summer, uh, the group album. Um, Cuddy has, has said in his interview that he kind of came down to him wanting to develop himself and his artist, King Chip, um, and looking to kind of uh, pave his own way in the industry. He's since said that there are no problems with Kanye or with good music, and he'll kind of be uh, riding out uh, uh, solo from here on out. Uh, before I kick it to my co-host, I'll, I'll say, for me, you know, it, if there was one person to go, it would be Cuddy from from Good Music. Um, he he He's different than everybody else on the label. Um, you almost forget that he's on Good Music sometimes. Um, but for me, I'm sad to see him go. And, and because, uh, you know, I, I wrote something last year on, on our music blog about kind of the reemergence of these hip-hop supergroups, you know, with your Young Monies and your MMGs and your Good Musics and, Obviously, TDE is coming up, and Odd Future is out there. I mean, you've got all these all these groups really, really rising, um, kind of like a reemergence. And for me, uh, you know, I didn't make kind of a pick in my in my post, but for me, good music was kind of the most rounded and most diverse group, really the best group musically. Um, if I had to pick and stack them up, I would definitely pick good music. And for me, Kid Cudi was a big part of that. He brought an element to their group that. Um, was so diverse, you know, obviously, you know, he, he's, he's ventured out into different genres. He did a whole rock album, um, uh, you know, the Wizard album, and, and um, I, I, I'm a Kid Cudi fan, and I'm sad to see him go. I, I don't think it'll really have any, like, serious effect on his career. I think he's going to be the same cutter that we know and love. Um, obviously, some people love him more than others. Lawrence and I had a conversation with one of our friends who's not really a Cuddy fan this past week, and kind of unpacked the whole idea of Kid Cuddy and, and you know why people can relate to his music so much and why you know why we appreciate his his approach in music. Um, uh, so you know, again, for me, I, I'm sad to see him go. I loved his involvement with good music. I loved what he brought to the group, um, but again. Uh, it, I think it's going to be the same old Cuddy. I'm still looking forward to the to the album. I know it's going to be great. Obviously, he's released the two songs from there so far, um, and so far, so good for me. Um, L, your thoughts on on Mr. Cuddy? Um, I I think it's it's a minimal negative that he that he's leaving um that he's leaving good music. I mean, I I do think that just having a label behind you, especially one like Good Music backing you, is is always a plus. I mean, it's it's something that a lot of artists aren't necessarily going for nowadays. You, you're seeing the the trend of of independence and and people kind of trying to want to wanting to build an empire, build a name for themselves. So, I, I, and I think that's what uh, Cuddy kind of saw and decided that he didn't want to be under such a big name like Kanye West anymore. And and I can respect that totally. And, I mean, Cuddy has a big enough fan base to where this isn't going. This isn't going to hurt him. I don't think, and by any means. I mean, he he's one of those guys that kind of has a cult following. So it's like the the people who are real Cuddy fans are real Cuddy fans, and they're not going to necessarily uh, 
care whether he's under good music or whether he's signed to Slip and Slide or, or whatever label he ends up starting or, like, whatever it is. Like, they're not going to – no one's going to care, really. I mean, it, it, as long as he continues to make the music he has. I mean, what makes Cuddy so good is that he is – he sounds – he has a sound that that hasn't been duplicated, and he kind of came up with it on his own. I mean – we like Martin said, we were talking to our one friend about about Cuddy, who is not necessarily a Cuddy fan. He's like, yeah, but I don't necessarily what you see in him in terms of like the scope of rap, and I feel like that's kind of a problem. People put Cuddy in like this box of of rap music to where like you have to uh, fit into certain credentials, which I don't think should be applicable. I mean, I think that I think that music is music, and and what Cuddy does and offers for music is, is brilliant. I mean, I, I always talk about uh, back when Kanye dropped um, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy in 2010, he released a statement saying that Kid Cudi was his favorite artist. And I, and I totally understood where he was coming from because Kid Cudi as an artist is, is phenomenal. I mean, he is he is very musically gifted. He has a, he has a very good musical mind and, and he applies that to his music, and and it's all really, really good. But um, like I said, I, I don't think that him leaving good is gonna is going to affect him all that much. I I, I feel like I, I said this the other day. I feel like a kind of part of the reason he may be leaving good is because he may have been pushing for Kanye to sign uh, his friend King Chip, formerly known as Chip the Ripper, and um, who who's been out for some time now, and and he's a pretty good rapper. I mean, he's 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 on the high end of mediocre rappers, I would say, but mediocre nonetheless. And um, I, I feel like he he may Cuddy may have been pushing Kanye to try to get uh, King Chip signed, and when he saw that that wasn't going to happen, he decided to kind of uh, venture out and, and do his own thing to kind of help promote King Chip, which is what he cited as one of his reasons for leaving good music. He wanted to help. Uh, promote King Chip's career, and I and I think that's awesome. I mean, that's like they're, they're both from Cleveland, and it's kind of like sticking to your roots, and that that's been like one of his boys since day one. So I, I can certainly respect the fact that he wants to kind of try to build his own thing to get his boy put on a little bit further, more than mediocre mixtape rapper in. And I, I think that's awesome. So I, I am still looking forward to Indicut as much as I was before. This does it. It doesn't change anything, and I'm sure it doesn't change anything for 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 Kid Cudi fans out there. It's just it's just one of those things, you know. Um, Jay, your thoughts on Cudi leaving good music? Um, well, first, did Lawrence did Lawrence say slip and slide records? Was that just a slip and slide records reference? Slip trick daddy. Reference. Okay, that's that's why I love the collective. But um, so for Cuddy, it, it doesn't it doesn't affect him at all. Like like you know like Martin and, and Lawrence says, as far as his music, he he's he's so unique and he has his own sound. And it wasn't crafted by Kanye West, and it wasn't influenced by Pusher T or Big Sean or anybody. So like you know musically, he's not gonna. He's not going to change his formula, or he's not going to—he's not going to sound different or try to be somebody different. He's going to be Kid Cudi still, and and that's with some artists, 
you know, I would be I would be nervous if they left their 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 respective camp because I would want to know like is he going to be the same artist? I don't think there's a question there that Kid Cudi's going to be the same. It, it, it the negative to me is that he won't be directly working with Kanye anymore. And and I thought not that Kanye made Cudi because that is not a true statement at all, but Kanye had had an influence on him. And he had an influence on his music and the and the actual production, and I'm I'm I I, I it's still going to be terrific. I just think him and Kanye together was was just such a great great team with with tremendous chemistry. And Kanye allowed Cuddy to be as free as he wanted to be and do what he wanted to do, and and you know to Kanye's credit. He, he he seems to be doing that with all the artists that are under good music. Um, so you know, if 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 the reason actually is, you know, Kid Cudi wants to help, you know, Chip the Ripper or King Chip as they, as he calls himself now, who I actually think is a is a very good rapper. I don't think he's mediocre at all. Um, I had one of his old mixtapes and I really liked it. Um, if that's really the reason. Um, why couldn't that be figured out while he was still under the good music umbrella? And and that's my question and I and I and I don't think that's the reason why he's leaving necessarily. You know, I just I just don't believe that that's why. Um but as far as you know, I am a Kid Cudi fan like like Martin and Lawrence and and we enjoy his music because of how unique it is and I don't think that that's not gonna change. Um, so, you know, it's, 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 it's something, it's something, you know, significant in the, in the hip hop world, you know, for sure. Um, and it definitely, it definitely, it hurts. I feel like it hurts good music more than it hurts Cuddy. I'll put it like that. Um, what Cuddy brings to the table, you know, good music can't find anyone else out there that can, that can do that that type of, you know, unique sound that can produce that type of unique sound. So um, I feel like it's good for, for Cuddy. You know I'm saying? In my mind, it's like, you know, I'm being positive about it. I'm thinking, I'm saying good for him. You know, I hope he gets out. Maybe he starts his own label. And maybe we have, you know, a flock of, of Cuddy-like artists or even, you know, people under his guidance that can help expand the sound that he's created. And you know that's only positive, and uh, and and I just hope that there's no backlash. I hope that Kanye just shuts up about it, and just lets him get a get do his thing, and not you know start dissing him on records and 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 being bitter about it. Um, Kanye obviously does lose some money with Cuddy leaving, but you know that's that's the nature of it. You know, like like yeah, that happens all the time in hip hop. This is not like a new thing. So um, I respect his decision, and I think he's going to be just fine. And I don't think it's going to affect his music. And uh, everybody should go get that that end of cut album when it comes out later this month. That uh, we well said, well said on all accounts. Uh, next order of business. Uh, Mr. Chris Brown is back on the scene. Um, he's been 
all over the, the media this week doing interviews with uh, radio stations, The Breakfast Club. Um, he's been everywhere. He released his new single, uh, Fine China, uh, with the video, which is the official first single for his forthcoming album, which is titled X. Um, uh, Chris Brown has talked about the album, um, saying that he wants to bring back the classic essence of R&B and soul, um, in his words, uh, with his new age music. Uh, he says he's incorporating a lot of live instruments and less auto-tune and wants to further demonstrate uh, his vocal abilities. Uh, he's confirmed collaborations with Kendrick Lamar on a song called Autumn Leaves, uh, who is obviously the coveted rap feature right now in the game, and uh, has also confirmed a, a collaboration with Rihanna for an untitled R&B song. Um, uh, before I get you guys' reactions, uh, I, you know... Chris Brown, I mean, there's so much I could say, but I, I, I'm going to try and boil it down to kind of uh, kind of an overall synopsis here. I, I mean, we're talking about a guy whose first two albums went double platinum. In 2004, the self-titled, the Chris Brown album, double platinum. There's obviously the hit single, Run It, with Joel Santana, which was absolutely huge at that time. Um, I, read, I read the other day that uh, Chris Brown became the first solo male artist to have his single reach number one uh, since Diddy in 1997. Um, uh, this is a huge record. And, and the exclusive album from 2007, another double platinum album, had the song Kiss Kiss with T-Pain, the, uh, the, uh, the Forever song, um, just endless hits for this guy. Um, obviously, the Graffiti album in 2009 and the, the Fame album in 2011, which was his first number one album on the Billboard charts and was a Grammy-winning Grammy album for Best R&B Album. Um, and, of course, the last year he released the Fortune album, which um, uh, actually, uh, <laughs> sarcastically enough, uh, he, well, it's not sarcasm, it's actually truth, but he, he, his album didn't make our top ten R&B uh, list from last year. Um, which, which you could see on our blog, and it wasn't even an honorable mention. Um, but for good reason. I, I, I didn't think it stacked up with his previous albums. Obviously, um, there weren't as many uh, hit singles on there, nowhere near as many as, as his previous albums. And, uh, you know, he kind of took he kind of took the turn, and, and uh, you can kind of use the Rihanna situation as maybe like a little turning point for him, but hey, he, kind of, he kind of veered off from what he says he's trying to do with this next album. In, in making kind of more substantial R&B music. Um, I will say this. For guys like Chris Brown, and I think the, the, Frank, the Frank Ocean altercation from earlier this year, I think it's worth mentioning because when it's, it, the guys like, and we say this all the time, guys like Frank Ocean and, and your Miguel's and your Weekends are really putting pressure on guys to really come out with original stuff and, and not the not the generic pop stuff that's just going to be radio hits. But, I mean, you've got guys like Frank Ocean that are making just outstanding pieces of music um, um, beginning to end, and they're, and they're extensive and they're thought-provoking. And they're really, I mean, it challenges guys, your guys, your more mainstream guys, like your Chris Browns and your Ushers. And, I mean, even, even The Dream, who The Dream's kind of a special case because, he, you know, he's, got other ventures, he's writing, producing, and, you know, he does stuff, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. But, you know, for anyone who calls themselves a male R&B artist right now, um, you've got to bring it, and you've really got to cater to this kind of new wave of male R&B, which I actually pointed to in my, in my Justin Timberlake review, um, which, which makes it difficult for guys to, I mean, you can, anyone can make a hit, but if you're going to come out and, and make 
really a, a an, an A plus album. I mean, the kind of album that's remembered. Um, you know, you've 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 got to cater to the to kind of this new wave of male R and B. Um, again, Chris Brown, I think, kind of got away from it with the, the Fortune album last year. Um, I think the Fine China record is a good record. The video is felt a little forced to me. We all know that you know Chris Brown is, is you know he's like the modern urban you know Michael Jackson. Like he and everything he does, it's almost like the Kobe Michael Jordan factor. He walks like him. He dances like him. I mean, everything you see in Chris Brown uh, in, his, in terms of his performance uh, exudes Michael Jackson. Um, I felt the video was a little forced, a little too much like Beat It. It had kind of like the Asian cultural twist on it, which I thought was okay. But overall, I, I like the record aside from the video. I didn't really need the video to convince me that the record was good. I think it's a good song. Um, and I look forward to what he does with someone like Kendrick Lamar, who is uh, again, the most coveted rap artist right now in the game, and um, and with the rest of his album, uh, the X album, which I think is set to release sometime in the summer. Um, I'll go to Elle first. Uh, what are your thoughts on Chris Brown and uh, this upcoming album? I mean, I I, I, I hope good things for Chris Brown. Uh, he he realistically is one of the better singers, dancers, like overall performers that we that we still have in, in R and B. I mean he he he's no fluke like he he can actually sing. Like Chris Brown is is a very good singer. I mean he has a good range, he does he does it all. He's he is one of the top performers in the game today and I, I feel like he, he can continue to follow that trend with this new album. I mean when we're talking about when we talk about R and B as a whole, I feel like what may hinder Chris Brown a little bit is the fact that we got guys like you said, like Frank and and Miguel, who are writing really, really more complex pieces than than a typical Chris Brown song. I mean, Chris Brown isn't doesn't typically talk about much more than partying or or it's a love song. I mean, it's kind of the range of of his subject matter where other guys are kind of getting into a bit more into the subtleties and really getting more creative and clever with their writing. So um, hopefully we'll see a bit of that from Chris Brown. I feel like he has to be influenced by by what's around him. I mean, the game that he – or the the music that he submerged in, like you have to – what's going on around you has to – has to – affect you in some way shape or form i mean you have to be influenced by it whether you're going to go far away from it or towards it i mean you have to you have to do something especially when we've had a year like for r&b that we've that we're just getting through i mean 2012 was a huge year for r&b and i mean 2013 is kind of continued that trend especially with the justin timberlake album so i mean the bar is set high for chris i I hope he I hope he can can really put together some good songs cuz I mean the the Chris Brown of old I, there were phenomenal songs I mean me and Martin used to always talk about forever how it was one of like the best songs ever cuz I mean it was it just it, it had so much going on and it and it was just so good and I mean like the excuse me is even like beautiful people from a few years ago I mean he's he's made he's made really good songs and I mean, those are realistic party songs, but at the same time, they 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 have layers to them, and, and he he really gets to show what he can do on himself. Just hoping hoping to see some progression, hoping hoping that 
maybe some of these other guys in the game right now rubbed off on him a little bit. It kind of made him really, really get on his P's and Q's. Well said. Uh, Jay, give us your thoughts on, on Chris Brown. I don't really like Chris Brown, you know. I, 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 I'm, not a, I'm not a huge Chris Brown fan. I, I don't like what he's about. Um, I don't like, uh, obviously, the. we don't have to bring up the past, but, you know, the Rihanna situation and the Frank Ocean situation. Um, I think he's trying to be, like, the, the thug of R&B but he's not a thug. So like he's, he's playing, he's, he's, he's playing this part that he cannot, you know, back up. And, and, and that's unfortunate for him. And it's not that I don't think he's talented because I think he's very, very talented, but I just, I, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to based off the record that he's put out and based off of what he's saying about this new album, I can't see him making that transition. Like, I can't see him not having a song with DJ Khaled and, like, <laughs> and like Busta and, like, and like getting real ratchet and, like, have, like, four or five, like, club songs on his album. And and he's talking he's talking about going back to, like, classic R&B. And, and I don't think that's possible for him at this, at, his point in, at this point of his career. I just don't think that's – I don't think that's what his label wants. I don't think that's what – he actually wants, um, and and I just I, I don't I can't see that happening. Um, you know, it, it with most with most of these these up and coming. Uh, Jay Jay had some technical difficulties. He was just cut off. Um, but he'll be back with us in a couple minutes. Um, um, I, I think he was building on a, a really fair critique um, and kind of piggybacking off off of Lawrence's critique as well. Um, and 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 it's true, you know, with Chris Brown, he's kind of turned into this like um, like Jay said, like taking on the role of the R and B thug, you know, with all the tattoos and the you know the altercations and and you know all the all the stuff that he's that he's you know kind of putting out there about himself, I think he's he's almost promoting it and you know, the blind I mean, he's almost promoting himself as he's a little more kind of comfortable with himself. But at the same time I think he's promoting kind of more of a of a uh of a almost like a free spirit type type of person. Um uh, and and again, back to the critique, I think it's fair um to to question if he can, if he can maintain that persona and come with, as Lawrence alluded to, um, and I, and I think was the, the the main the main point here is that with the writing, I mean, with with the, when you look at the lyrics and the writing from guys, your guys like Frank Ocean and, and Miguel, um, and even you know even with your, I mean, Justin Timberlake, I don't think I don't think in terms of the writing. I don't know if the writing was was really like out there. I think it was more kind of about the the substance and the sound. Um, but again, it, when you look at kind of like a song like Pyramid with Frank Ocean, I mean, it, it follows a narrative. It follows a storyline. And really, the whole Channel Orange album follows kind of this this unique, eclectic 
uh, storyline, um, you know, and, it, and it's, it's thought-provoking. It makes you want to listen more than once um, for for a reason other than just wanting to hear it in your car on the way on the way to the bar or something. And and you know, like like Jay and Lawrence alluded to, you know, Chris Brown is that's that's really been a lane that he's been able to dominate with songs like uh, Forever and, and, you know, Beautiful People, Look At Me Now, which was, I mean, one of the biggest records uh, of a couple of years ago, um, ratings-wise. I would love to see where that where that is on the chart because that record just, just exploded. Um, but songs like that, you know, and, and not to say that those are not good songs, but they are songs for a certain occasion. And I think, you know, I think Jay's critique is fair to question if he can – come back from an album like Fortune last year, which was which was more so electronic pop, a little more generic, um, and, and not as extensive and deep with the writing, um, it, it's fair to question whether he can come back and kind of flip the switch, come into uh, a genre where the competition is only getting thicker and, you know, bring back some of, some of that kind of classic essence of R&B that, as Lawrence said, I, I, he's definitely capable of. I, I think Smart's definitely um, told the truth. When I mean, Chris Brown can sing vocally. I think it's smart on his part to say that he wants to uh, kind of demonstrate his vocal ability more because he has a good voice. He has good range, like Lawrence said. Um, he has the ability to make that kind of music and those kinds of songs. So, it, you know, it's something that you that you look for. Um, obviously, so successful, and as Jay said, so talented. Um, but you you do want to see like you want to see with every artist um, you want to see progression you know and you want to see him bounce back from that. I think it's interesting you know someone like Chris Brown who's been so relevant over the last nine years since his first album um, you know he's kind of he hasn't he's kind of stayed the same I would say for me he's kind of fluctuated you know Jay said you know he's not necessarily a fan I wouldn't call myself a fan of Chris Brown. Um, at the least bit, but I, I mean, when I, you know, when I listen, I do kind of expect, you do kind of expect greatness because he's been around and he's done it before. And I, I mentioned Justin Timberlake again, you know, I reviewed his album. It's so impressive. The fact that he was away for so long, came back, took a seven year hiatus, came back in 2013 in a completely different formatted genre of R&B and comes out and puts together a really good R&B album. Um, for Chris Brown, I think the challenge is, is maybe even greater because he has been kind of the constant. He's been around, and and it, it's all. I mean, it's hard to not fluctuate. And it, it, but for him, you know, you want to see the progression. Um, uh, uh, oh, give us your final thoughts on on Chris Brown. I mean, I I, I do see where Jay came from. from. He did, he did kind, kind of, of take on this, this, this new persona, persona, especially after the entire uh, Rihanna, Rihanna situation where he kind of had to, like, he had to he shake the whole the, 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 the teeny bopper. bopper. Like, he, he, he wasn't going to fit into that mold anymore, anymore, and he really he kind of tried to embrace this new image. I mean, I guess it's working for him. He still has a few hits. Post Rihanna situation, and I mean, he 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 has made music still. So with that, I think that he can take that and continue to make good music and progress and and kind of take what what like I said, what's going on in the game right now, and 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 be able to 
kind of make his own mark on the current status. I think that that's what we should look for for Chris Brown. And I feel like, and you you talked about the performance aspect before. Um, for me, it's I mean, in terms of performance, I mean, Chris Brown is the best we've got. He's one up for you know, and it's for males. Um, when you talk about the entire package, oh yeah. Um, his dancing ability is obviously off the charts, and and, and his song making ability off the charts, which which makes his performance ability again off the charts. So, but I, you know, it's like, does, do you think that makes it even harder for him to be kind of this more genuine kind of R and B personality? Because someone like Frank Ocean is making songs more so like ballads. Where like at the VMAs, where he you know he either sits or stands up and you know sings the song all the way through, whereas Chris Brown has songs that are kind of high energy. He's looking to perform and dance and really be more physically demonstrative with it. So, do you think that's that's something that creates a challenge for him? No, because I think that, that I mean that's what he's done from the beginning. That's kind of been his thing from Jump Street. Is like, all right, I'm not gonna be the guy to sit up on stage with a piano and a microphone like a John Legend or Frank Ocean or something like that. Where I'm gonna sit up on stage and like just like sue the crowd and just really get into really dallas type stuff. He's been that high energy guy and he had success with that. But I don't see I don't see that as a negative effect of him at all. I mean that that. That is going to kind of dictate what we can expect from the new Chris Brown project. Like with our, our new Chris Brown project, we we kind of know what we're getting into because we know Chris Brown and we know his, his lane, I guess you can call it in. So I don't think that that's him at all. I think if anything, I mean, it, it helps because we're going to be looking for that and going to provide positive. I mean, he always has and he kind of always oh, Definitely well said. Uh, well said on that account. Um, uh, last order of business for our music segment. Um, we're going to talk about Tyler, the creator, real quick. Um, talk about his new album, Wolf, which came out this week. Um, we've, all had, we've all had a chance to, to listen to it um, separately and together. Um, kind of got a feel for the album. Um, I, I personally got it uh, last week sometime and uh, spent some time with it. I've listened to it all the way through several times. Again, uh, Lawrence will be the one reviewing that album. Um, you can look out for that this week on our music blog. Um, we talked about Tyler, um, I think, a couple weeks ago um, when, it, when the track list was released for Wolf. Um, kind of talked about his style, uh, you know, what you like about him, what kind of misconceptions about his style. Um, so, you know, for me, I, you know, and I texted Lawrence uh, when I was listening to it, you know, I really, I really enjoy, I mean, I said this when we talked about Tyler before, I do enjoy uh, Tyler's approach. Um, obviously, the highlight of Tyler, the creator, um, is his production. Um, seemingly unmatched, I mean, when you talk about his sound. Um, and again, with Wolf, another extremely well-produced project. Um, a few songs are, are influenced and, and probably uh, more so included uh, with Pharrell. Um, I know Pharrell has had heavy influence on, on the album as a whole and on several records which, are, um, which manifest themselves in the songs because you really hear that Pharrell sound. But um, really, really a range of, of, uh, of, different, of different sounds. Um, I will say I do kind of like 
personal tone of the album. Um, you know, I, I you know Tyler is, is notorious for kind of his alternate personalities, and you know the the wolf and and. Um, if you look at the album cover, you see, you know, it's one picture of him, just regular Tyler, and then up in the corner with a wig on and, and you know, <laughs> very, very quirky cool in, in that sense. But, you know, uh, again, I, I like I like how personal this album is. Um, uh, there are several songs, the Colossus song, where it talks about meeting, meeting fans of Six Flags and, and how, how they're kind of just bandwagon fans. They don't really know him. Um, he takes time to talk about the passing of his grandmother on several songs. Um, and, and also the, the the lack of presence of his father in his life, which he's which has been included in some of his previous content. Um, but I think it even manifests itself more in this. Um, I, I love, I, I just really love his approach. Like I said when we talked about him a couple of weeks ago, um, his content isn't necessarily my favorite, and it's not necessarily stuff that I relate to. I mean, still. Talking about extreme stuff like uh, uh, what do you say, pissing on Adele and, and <laughs> makes reference to Whitney Houston and, and you know uh, really extreme references and ideas that I don't personally relate to or resonate with. But I do. I, I, I like his um. I like his delivery. I think for me, you know, when you look at rappers, uh, it's usually what I mean. You got your content, your delivery. Um, and, you know, it depends on the person. But for me, you know, I love Tyler's delivery. I love his bravado. I love um, just the extreme sense of, of his personality that, that comes out in his music. And, you, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but I feel like the kids, kids who are, like, depressed really resonate with guys like Tyler. And, and even with Kid Cudi, we just don't talk about Cudi. I feel, I feel like, like a lot of Cuddy fans are Tyler fans because Lawrence and I talked about this this week. Cuddy's like a kind of a depressing individual. He like follows his tweets and stuff. He uh, he's kind of a depressing person at his core. So you really like feel them. Um, and I think the the same thing kind of manifests with Tyler the Creator. Um, again, I I do I enjoy the album. I love that he went kind of ratchet on the Trash Wayne song, saying he wants black kids to like him. Um, I you know I love that he can switch up and in, into that too. So um, again, after the Goblin album, which was his first his first studio album, um, which again I enjoyed. I think again I don't think he missed again. Um, I'll give Lawrence a chance to talk about the album since he's the one reviewing it. Talk about maybe what what grade he'll be giving it um, for his review. Well, I am I am in the process of still figuring out what grade I feel like he deserves. I mean, I've, I've, I I kind of know the range at this point, but um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure yet. The thing about Tyler is. He really is one of the best young producers in the in rap music right now. I mean, he he has a a very unique sound. He has a good understanding of music theory, and and he applies that, and and you can hear that in all of his beats. They're all very intricate, and I mean, he, he those are I feel like his pride and joys. I feel like when he puts out an album, kind of it's almost like a beat tape, and he's like, all right, yeah, I rapped over him too. And and I mean the, the rapping has gotten slightly better. I would say it's gotten slightly better. He's a little bit less annoying, but he's still an annoying rapper to me. I feel like I feel like he has kind of like that. He has that one thing where it's, it's 
the really deep voice and it I mean he he starts to go into a few different flows this album which I will give him credit for and I did like the uh, the one song he was talking about meeting the fans at uh Six Flags I forget what was Colossus Colossus yeah I, I did like Colossus I mean he has he has some pretty good songs on the on this album I mean the Trash Wang, like you said, is pretty good. The Awkward song is good. Uh, I, my favorite is Rusty, but that's kind of because of the collaborators. I think that there's a few guys out of the Odd Future Collective who are really rappers that you need to be looking out for because they're, they're really good. The, those two in particular being Damo Genesis and, and Earl Sweatshirt, who I think are both head and shoulders better rappers than than Tyler. But um I mean I I think in terms of like a, a total piece, it's it's a pretty good record. I feel like I feel like the he has two songs though where he's almost trying too much to sound like a uh, to make it sound like a Pharrell song. Like it's it's like really forced to try to sound like a like an a classic N E R D song and he's not Pharrell. Like he he just isn't. Pharrell is working on some of this stuff and, and working with him and he has I mean, I follow him on, on some social networks and if you and if you do at all you know that he is a Pharrell fanatic, which there's nothing wrong with that. Cause I, I too am a Pharrell fanatic. I, I love everything Pharrell has done and I I mean he's He's one of those iconic figures to me as he is to Tyler. But um, I feel like yeah, on a few of these, he's, he's trying, like, too hard to make it. I mean, he's, like, singing on one of them, which which sounds really, really bad. But, I mean, all in all, it, it is a it is a it's a worth a listen. I mean, there's definitely some, some really good beats on this. I mean, the, the, like, like we said, the production is kind of – the highlight to to a lot of these songs and and he is he has improved as a rapper and and is starting to go into different flows which is making him less annoying but i mean it's kind of like it's kind of like um trying to come back from the dead like he not not to not to say that his career was dead but i mean i i kind of lost hope for tyler in terms of rapping or in terms of anything significant when it comes to rapping other than him just like being able to go on all of his beats. I do think it's kind of a shame, though, that you don't really hear Tyler beats unless it's Tyler rapping on it. I feel like if if Tyler made as many beats and had as many artists on his beats as, like, a young Chop or a Mike Will, you, would, you wouldn't even care about a young Chop or a Mike Will because Tyler's that good. But, um, yeah, I it, it'll, it'll get... I think it'll get the grade it deserves. Uh, I won't give it away just yet, but I think it'll. I think it'll get a. I think the grade I'm gonna give it, it will be warranted, and and I'll be able to back it up. Uh, Jay, let's get your thoughts on Tyler. Um, I I really I, I enjoyed the album. Um, I got a chance to to listen to it um, this week, and actually bought a few of the songs on iTunes. Um, because I really enjoyed it. I really like his production. Obviously, like everybody has has said, and you know how most of his his fan base, you know, see him as more of a producer than a rapper. And I think he's fine with that, and I'm fine with that because I think that's his stronger suit. Um, I think this I, I, this is what I love about Odd Future, and this is what I love about Tyler the Creator, is that you could go back. And listen to a a 
you know, Wolfgang mixtape or or a Mellow Hype mixtape from back in the day, and you can hear the basis of it, of, of what he does now. You can hear it start then, and you can hear where it's at now, and you can see the progression, but you can see that he kept the same foundation. He has these dark, really, really hard hip-hop beats, and they fit with his voice. And I don't think I don't think he's a terrific rapper. I think he's good enough. And then what, what his voice does is actually engage you and and have you really listening to what he's saying, even though most of it is just you know stupidity. But um, musically, I just, I think he's brilliant. I think he's way beyond his years. And you know he put out another good album. And and you know I can I can be critical of stuff and like nitpick. And I can pick out some things about it that, you know, I don't think we're up to par. But the overall body of work, I think it's I think it's pretty good. I think it's I think it's actually very good. If I don't know what Lawrence is gonna give it and you know, he doesn't he doesn't give me any inside information. I have to read it when everybody else does. But if I had to give it a grade, I would I would I would give it a B. I I would give it a, a B B minus B in that range. Um, I think it was a little bit better than average. I don't think it was out of this world. It's not one of those once-in-a-lifetime type albums. I don't think it's, this album defines him at all, but I thought it was I thought it was good to keep the train moving in the right direction, and I think that's what he did with this album. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more stuff. You know, I, wanna, I, want, I need an Earl album. Um, I need a Domo Genesis album or at least another mixtape. I need another Haji Beats mixtape um, and possibly a Mellow Hype album. But um, Odd Future is a, is a <laughs> they're a weird group of young kids and and they are doing their thing. And and you know I, everybody says that, but they're like they're actually they actually are doing it because they're making the music that they want to make. And you can either like it or not like it, but they're not going. Tyler's not going to have a radio hit. He's not going to have anything that's going to be on MTV and being played, you know, a million times. It's their sound. It's their type of music. And you know, if you enjoy it, then great. If you don't, that's fine too. But you know, it, it's you gotta you gotta appreciate you gotta appreciate the originality of it, and you have to appreciate. The how should I say this? You have to appreciate the, the the originality, how unique it is, and how genuine. That's the word I'm looking for. How genuine the music is because it's actually what they want to do, and it's and it's what they feel like is good. and And I respect that, and that's why I am a supporter of the Odd Future conglomerate, even though the content I'm not too excited about. Um, but I. Another good album. Keeps him afloat, keeps things going in the right direction. So, you know, good for him. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing some more stuff from them for sure. Um, definitely well said. Yeah, I uh again Lawrence will be reviewing it. Um I you know, I I think I might go I was I was thinking B initially. I think um for me at least the the Tamale uh answer and uh between Tamale Answer and uh, there's another song that I really don't care for much, the, the Jamba record. Um, between those three songs and the content, I think for me I would throw in a minus. 
um, just because I think a solid I think a solid B could be warranted, but I, there's a few records I could do without. And whenever you could say that about an album, it's definitely not an A. You know, your perfect albums are the songs where every single song is, is phenomenal. And uh, so, uh, you know, again, uh, Lawrence Lawrence will be giving his grade and his review on that on our music blog this week. Uh, so look out for that. We're going to go to our final commercial break for a couple minutes, and we're going to talk come back and talk about um, everybody in the room's favorite show right now, the season finale of Shameless airs tomorrow night, um, and we're going to come back and talk about some Frank Gallagher, um, our boy Jimmy, um, and uh, what else we can look forward to and expect from the finale tomorrow night on Showtime. Uh, so don't move. Keep it with the collective. You know what it is. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback, sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Boom 107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Boom 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and the gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories.
Yes, yes, yes. We are back. This is The Collective wrapping up week eight of our show. Uh, we want to thank all our all our listeners and callers um, for another great week. I, uh, I foreshadowed the beginning of the show that this would be our best show yet, um, and I, I think we've lived up to that thus far. Um, I'm going to wrap up with our TV and film segment, which is loosely based on our, uh, the blog televisioncinema.blogspot.com, um, where you can find uh, synopsis and critiques of some of the hottest uh, television shows out. Uh, we're back for last uh, last ten minutes here of our show winding down. We're going to talk about um, all of our favorite shows. Everyone everyone in here is uh, is invested and is caught up and is tuned in to uh, the phenomenon that is Shameless on Showtime. Um, uh, we we talked about it a few weeks ago. Um, kind of what makes the show so intriguing and captivating, obviously based on the uh, UK version, um, and is signed on for 11 full seasons. And tomorrow night at 10 o'clock, we get the season finale of season three, uh, which is titled Survival of the Fittest. Um, airs tomorrow night, 10 o'clock on Showtime. Um, a lot of things to consider um, with this season finale. Um, obviously, uh, towards the end there, we see uh we well we see we usually see a few things go down towards the end, right? Um the two things that stick out for me, um obviously uh, uh Frank Gallagher, our favorite alcoholic, um gives himself up for, for young Carl Gallagher. Um uh really the first kind of moral act that we've seen from Frank um really since the beginning of the show. Um and it 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 it, it takes it, it's interesting. Um, it'll be interesting to see what kind of turn it takes. Um, I'm looking here. Emmy Rossum, who of course plays Fiona Gallagher, um, was on Z100 Morning Show yesterday. Um, she didn't confirm anything about the finale, obviously, um, but she did say that we're going to see uh, Frank taking the biggest toll that we've seen him take so far in the finale. Um, uh, so the uh, situation with Frank is obviously dire, and. Uh, and, and our friend Jimmy, um, <laughs> seemingly walking the plank onto uh, onto the yacht of of uh, of his father-in-law. Of course, he's supposed to be married to the, the girl Estefania, so she can stay in the country. Um, uh, his his schemes have have backfired on him as they usually do. And before the last thing we see is him uh, probably walking the plank onto onto the father's yacht. Um, uh, we don't know what's going to happen to him yet. We can only speculate. Um, I look forward to seeing, you know, I feel like the writing on this show is, is, is so good. And uh, Emmy Rossum said in her interview that obviously they've, they've shot different, I'm pretty sure they shoot different mm-hmm. kind of forms of it. They weren't The actors weren't even told what version will be aired tomorrow. Um, so even even they don't even know what's going to be, what's going to be going on. So uh, a lot of mystery going on here with Shameless. Um Again, back to Frank. I was, I was, I, I almost, I, I mean, I almost wanted to cheer when Frank gave himself up for Carl. Um, I, again, never seen him do anything that moral before. So you, you look forward to seeing as he rides off in the in the police car. Um, if he kind of has the look on his face, like, well, I'm, I'm here now. <laughs> I've made the decision. I'm, I'm riding this out. And of course, with the finale tomorrow, we should see what's going to happen with Frank. Um, it should be an interesting, interesting development. Um, uh, Lawrence, what are you looking for from uh, from this finale of Shameless tomorrow? You know, I'm even nervous to say that because 
the whole thing about seamless is anything that we're looking for is, is the exact opposite of what's actually going to happen. I mean, they, the, the writers of this show does such a good job of throwing curveballs in there to where you, you have no idea what to expect. I, I can say that I hope that it, this isn't the last we see of our friend Jimmy. I hope, I hope Jimmy finds a way to make it out of this situation. Now, my, last episode was one of the first times we actually saw Frank in a position where he was he was thinking about somebody other than himself and that that was a good thing i think that i mean you wonder what's going to happen you they they did show previews and, and stuff about that about last episode and it seems like frank's health goes into question so you want to see what what ends up happening about that i mean after all he is an alcoholic so I, it's not like he has the healthiest of lifestyles um I'm, I'm so I'm looking to see. I'm I'm hoping that uh, Jimmy finds his way out out of his uh, apparently you know, what looks what seems to be at least dire situation. And um, the same thing with Frank. Uh, I'm I'm looking for them to maybe come to some closure with with the entire lip, Karen and um, Mandy uh, love triangle there. I, I think that uh, it seems like they're leaning toward Karen kind of just being a vegetable and and kind of killing her off the show. So, I mean, if that happens, things can get really interesting. And, I mean, last episode obviously didn't end very well with Mandy and Lip. But, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. So those are kind of – I mean, I'm, I'm, looking for, I'm looking for a good season finale. I've been disappointed with season finale before, and I hope this doesn't follow that trend. I mean, Shameless is, is – pretty quickly become one of my favorite shows ever. So it does I don't think that the writers will disappoint. Uh you definitely have a strong point there in that Shameless does a really good job of bringing what we don't expect to the table. Uh, and obviously the whole notion obviously the title, Shameless, everything about the show is, is raw and raunchy and it's uh you don't, you don't, you don't ask for explanation. You know, it's, it's shameless. Everyone is shameless. You know, there's no shame on this show. You know, and, and I talk about the Mandy situation, and I, I don't know if Jay was going to talk about this, but the scene where Liv walks in on, on Mandy at Nikki's wedding and she's dancing on the black guy, talking about uh, just swallowing his load. You know what I mean. It's just a complete raunchiness of this show, which you, which you absolutely love. Uh, uh, Jay, what are, what are you what are you thinking for this uh, for this season finale, Shameless? <laughs> I I I hope that it that it has us wanting more, and 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 I say that because I just hope that there's no questions are answered. Like that's what so like you know they can build up for next season. And that's really what I'm looking for out of the episode. Um, <laughs> I do want, I do hope uh, Fiona's boyfriend, the one who was walking on to, to stepfather's, uh, well, fa- father-in-law's boat, I hope they often because Jimmy's, like, kind of all over the place. So if Jimmy doesn't come back, that won't bother me one bit. Um, I hope Frank gets out and just continues to be Frank. I hope he's not getting soft on us. And that sounds so bad because he like he's been consistently being a terrible father. But but I mean it's TV. No, it's entertaining. I don't like you know it's it's like I don't I don't feel morally wrong from wanting to see more of that. 
So I just hope Frank comes out of of jail and he's fine, and I hope that he just keeps on being Frank because he is hilarious. Um, um, as far as the family goes, I want to see what direction you know they take Fiona and her relationship and her job and and the whole family as a whole. I feel like there there's gonna there's going to have to be something huge that happens, you know, in the season finale that we we obviously didn't see coming. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what that is. I, I have complete faith in the writers of Shameless. Um, I just think they've, they've put together such a good product. And I actually watched the first episode of Shameless, the U.K. version, um, this week. And, and it, it was, you know, they – they they definitely and I only needed to see one version to see how well the writers took the basis that the UK show created and just made it you know uh, it just brought it over to American culture and made it fit into you know uh, what some of the American values or 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 lack of American values that that the Gallagher family show is a collective. So that was pretty cool to see, and, that, and 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 it just you know really, really, it just really opened my eyes to the whole Shameless you know series, and how absolutely brilliant these writers of this show have been from the UK version, and how hard it is to take a show from you know just like how The Office was a smash hit in the US, you know it was a smash hit in the UK before that. And and the writers of the of the American office had to be very sensitive with, you know, the characters and you know what to keep and what to add and 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 stuff like that. And I think the the shameless writers did that almost effortlessly. It looked like, and you know, it's good to see this like you know this family dynamic and this dysfunction continue to like get crazier and crazier throughout the show. And you know that's why we enjoy it. So. I said this last week when I, you know, when I saw the last episode and I knew the season finale was coming. I just hope they don't get soft on us. I hope it's the same, you know, like unbelievable, just just ratchet in a way, just just craziness that I've I've expected to see out of every shameless episode that I've seen. I just hope they don't go soft on us for the for the season finale. Keep the same type of craziness going, and you know, I'll be happy, and and, and I can look forward to next season if there is going to be a next season with that or, you know, come to some closure with it, you know, as long as it's something crazy. I just want to, I just want it to be controversial like it usually is. And I'll be, I'll be chilling. Yeah. Well said. I, uh, um, I, I agree with you. I think, um, I, I do look forward to seeing kind of in the grand scope of things what what they do with Fiona's character, because, you know, the, the job she has now, she's obviously, you know, doing well. She just, hooked up with her boss, so she's, you know, she's in it for the long run there. Um, you know, it seems like she's doing well, and, and, you know, I remember in the preview for the finale, Lip will be officially the first Gallagher to graduate high school. He's getting his diploma, um, so that's a big deal. So, you you know, you look for, you know, with character development, which is like a huge thing with me, um, and with the family as a whole, obviously what, what happens with Fiona professionally trickles down and affects the rest of the family. So, you know, with Lip... Lip possibly going to college, that's been kind of an ongoing issue with the, with the season. You want to see what happens with that. Uh, with Fiona's new job, obviously Debbie and Carl are growing up. Um, we don't know if we're ever going to see Jimmy again after tomorrow, but, um, you know, with the parent him and Fiona's relationship, you look for that. Um, 
So, you know, in terms of the progression and the development, um, after tomorrow we should know a lot more about what we can look forward to looking ahead um, for the future of Shameless. Um, so we're winding down here. We've got about uh, we got about a minute left of our show. Uh, we covered just about everything we needed to cover today. Um, I think I was I think I made good on my prediction that this would be our best show. Uh, we talked about the Final Four, made our predictions, talked about the uh, situation at uh, Rutgers with Mike Rice, talked a little about Kid Cudi, Chris Brown, and Tyler the Creator, and uh, we just finished talking about the season finale of Shameless tomorrow night. Um, catch us again next Saturday at 1 o'clock, same time, same energy, same all that stuff. Uh, shout out again to Blog Talk Radio, the Keys 107, all of our listeners, all of our callers. This yeah. is a collective. Yeah, yeah. Don't forget it. Stay with us. Remember us. They need us. We'll be back next week. I got you. But let me run it.